0: Man, thank you, Ken, and thanks, worship team. Good morning. morning. Welcome to what possibly could be, maybe, (laughs) our last Sunday to meet together in this room. Please carefully note the words possibly, maybe. Uh, If you're visiting with us, especially God to have you. Uh, We're expecting any any Sunday to show up and be in our new space. Um, just a quick update, about three weeks ago, we had finished the construction um, according to the design, the drawings, the plans, and plans, Then we started going through the inspection process. The city pointed out um, a list of some things they wanted us to do differently and some things they wanted us to add. So we've now completed all of that. That's why two of our entrances are closed off today. Uh, and so, and we've passed all of the subcontractor inspections, which means we have one inspection left, our final inspection, which is scheduled for tomorrow. So there's the update. So maybe, possibly, potentially we'll be meeting in a different space. Uh, Just real quick, men, um, ladies had a fantastic conference this weekend, Friday night and Saturday. I've been hearing lots of great stuff. Um, Ours is coming up this next weekend. So today's the last day to register though. There's a lot of planning that goes into to pulling off an event like this. So please go register today. I think that closes tonight at midnight uh, for the conference. I've said before, even if you can't make it to the whole time, you can just come for part or most of the time register and come be a part of what God's doing in our church. Um, I've already heard a lot of great things about the Women's Conference, and I'm excited to hear um, what God's going to do in in the lives of our men. So uh, that's this coming weekend. All right, so we are in uh, the book of Joshua, chapter 7 is where we're going to start. We're going to end in the New Testament. Um, Just a quick kind of overview of where we are. Um, If you're visiting with us, uh, we are on a journey. We've actually been on a journey for the last four years that we're calling the All-In Journey. And uh, and that title, All-In, actually came from an elder meeting about four and a half years ago. Uh, we had done all the research on the community around us and the rate at which the community was growing, and we were looking at our, just our internal uh, data on how fast the church was growing and the elders determined we need to build something. So we had done all that research, but we were at the point of like no return where it was like, okay, we're either going to do this or we aren't, and so we just went around the, the table there, the elders, and said, okay, let's just go around. Who's all in? And one by one, the elders were like, I'm all in. I'm all in, and we just went around. And so that's where the name came from. And really that commitment was to say this, that our hearts would be all in, that we would be a people who love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. Regardless of where he places us, we will worship him. And if he happens to bless us with a new space, we'll worship him in there. If he happens to keep us in this space, we'll worship him here. If this place gets blown down, uh, we'll worship him out in the parking lot, right? So that has been our, our anchor this whole journey. And so we're at the place now where we're about to open the new space. And so we've returned once again to the story. We were tracking, that we've been tracking the nation of Israel from Exodus all the way into Canaan, the promised land. Uh, and from there, drawing some parallel truths that we could apply to our own lives as we journey from, from this building to the next. And so we've made it to Joshua chapter 7. Just a little back story. Last week for Mother's Day, we were in Joshua chapter 6. Where we looked at Rahab the prostitute. You're welcome, moms. And, uh, and so this week, we're going to be looking at the sin of one man. His name is Achan, the sin of Achan. And so ladies are like, well, why can't we just save that for Father's Day? Trust me, we'll be, we'll be equally or greater uh, or harder on the men for, for Father's Day. But... What we've learned is that um, we're learning a lot about God in these stories. And not only learning about God, but who we are as his people. We watched last week in in chapter 6, where God spared with grace and mercy Rahab and her family. Uh, But now we're going to see in chapter 7, where because of the hidden sin of one man, God is going to put to death one man and his family. We're going to see in the contrast between these two stories, a lot about who God is, and a lot about who we are. And just a heads up, we're going to be talking about sin today. Okay, so I know in our in our popular culture, that's not a popular topic. Uh, there would be even those who would say to talk about sin is to be hurtful, to be unsafe, um, to be judgmental, or or to be bigoted. Um, but in Christ, we know that one of the most loving things we can do is to remind one another what to do with our sin, to talk and to teach one another what to do with our sin. We talked about that last week, moms. One of the greatest gifts you can give your children is to show them what to do with their sin. Right, show them what you do with your sin so they'll know what to do with their sin. And so today we're gonna look at not only the consequences of hidden sin, but what the Lord calls us to do with our sin. And so in Joshua chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 1, um, so what's happened is Jericho, boom, defeated. Okay, so that's already happened. Now the next battle is in a place called Ai. And so this battle isn't going to go the same way as Jericho. So the Lord gives nation visual instructions before he sends them in. So in Jericho, he said, hey, Here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna march around the city, the walls are gonna fall down, it's gonna be great. But here's my instructions. Rahab and her family, I want you to rescue them, pull them out, show them mercy, and do not take any of the devoted things from the city. Leave it all there, burn it, destroy it. The only thing I want you to do is bring the precious metals back into our camp, put it in the treasury of the Lord, but don't take anything. Well, what happens is one man overlooks the commands of the Lord and he takes something and brings it, hides it in his tent. And so the next battle does not go the way Jericho went. We'll pick this up in verse one. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah took some of the devoted things and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. So what happens in the next battle is this one looks like it's actually gonna be really easy compared to Jericho, which was this double wall fortified city God miraculously, supernaturally just destroys the walls and it was an easy battle. So the next one, the spies go out to Ai and they're like, dude, this one's gonna be a breeze. Let's, hey, Joshua, don't send everybody. Just send two or 3,000. Seriously, there's no need to, uh, to, to break camp and all of us go, just send a few. What happens is they end up getting defeated and they lose 36 Israelite warriors. So verse six tells us what Joshua does. He responds to this, this defeat. Joshua tore his clothes, fell to the earth, on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening he and the elders of Israel and they put dust on their heads and these were all signs of grief of of great loss and so they're they're moving into a time of grief they're grieving not just the loss of the 36 warriors but the fact that this battle doesn't go the same way matter of fact this is the main thing that's tearing Joseph up is that he's going to actually say some things like why us why now why are you doing this Once again, the nation of Israel is going to say, well, why don't you send us back to Egypt? Way better there. We were slaves. Bring us out here to this promised land. Why don't we just stop at the Jordan and and set up camp there? It all looked great. Why, God, did this happen to me and to us? we're going to focus on is, is God's response now to Joseph and the elders as they tear their clothes, as they bow their faces to the ground. Verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Now, this is a a kind way of God saying, your posture is not the right posture, Joshua. Your heart's broken over the wrong things. I need you to get up. Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Why are you acting like poor me? Woe is me, Joshua. Get up. Here's the problem, verse 11. Israel has sinned, and they have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Notice the word "there." they. How many of them actually sinned? One. Who is the Lord holding accountable? The whole nation. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies, they turn their back before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. So now God is gonna express an opportunity for mercy here. Right? I've got your attention now, Joshua. Cost 36 lives. And I'm gonna, keep, I'm gonna continue to turn my back on you unless you confess, unless you own it unless somebody comes out into the light and owns what they have done. And then in verse 13, once again, get up, consecrate the people and say, now pay attention to these words, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. That's really important because what's gonna happen tomorrow if nobody confesses, if nobody owns up, if nobody comes out of hiding and says, you know what, it was me, it was me. I messed up, here it is then here's what's gonna happen tomorrow. And God is gonna lay out a plan. He's gonna say, here's what I want you to do, Joshua. If nobody owns this, bring bring representatives from every clan before the elders and before you. And I want you to roll dice, cast lots. And whoever the, the, the lots fall on, the guilty person is from that clan. Then I want you to send the rest of the clans home. Then I want you to divide that clan into households. I want you to do the same thing again. And I will, God... Supernaturally control the dice or control the lots so that the the guilty family is left. And then I want you to divide that household one by one and the lots will fall on the guilty person. That's what's gonna happen tomorrow. And God says, here's what I want you to do. Consecrate yourself today in preparation for what's gonna happen tomorrow. And we'll come back to that in just a minute. Get up, consecrate the people. And say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. Now, this idea of consecration, it's, 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 it's maybe a word you're not familiar with, okay? It's the idea of setting something apart for a special purpose. So if you're consecrating something, it, it, uh, a good example would be like maybe your tithes and offerings. Maybe you've set aside something for the Lord, right? And you've you've given that to God. It's, It's set aside for a special occasion for someone or something special. But God's not telling them to consecrate things. He's telling them to consecrate what? Themselves. To consecrate themselves. So in the bigger picture of what's happening in Israel, they're going into battle. You know, we just sing this song, the battle belongs to you. What a great song to sing after Jericho, right? We didn't even do anything and God won. The battle belongs to you. See, it's so easy for us, I think even as Christians, to sing that song to make that declaration when our perception is that the battle is external. All my enemies are out there, right? Our enemies as a church against against a secular culture, God's gonna win that battle, right? You either believe it or you don't. Like the battle belongs to you, but it's a whole different thing when we understand that the battle is inside of us. See, this battle is inside the camp of Israel. It's not external. And God is saying something when he says, consecrate yourselves, look within. Before you face any more enemies outside, look within, consecrate yourselves. Now here's what ends up happening. Nobody fesses up, so they go through the process. Narrow it down to the clan, narrow it down to the household, narrow it down to the man. And it's a man named Achan. Now at this point, after he's been called out, he he owns it. He goes, "Ah, it was me, I did it. I took some silver, I took this really valuable cloak, I took some other stuff, I, I, I snuck it out and I hid it, it's in my tent. Okay, now that he's found out, he's owning it. But it's important to remember that the command to consecrate was the day before, right? To purge the sin from within before. Cleanse your hearts the day before and it's not until he's busted and there's nobody else left. And so God follows through with his promise and he punishes Achan and his family and they're put to death. Now here's an important detail. If you read all the way to the end of chapter seven, this particular, they take Achan and his family outside the camp, put them to death and they cover them with this mound of stones. And this area is known as the Valley of Anchor or the Valley of Ankin for the rest of your Old Testament. It's a really significant detail you need to pay attention to. Because on one hand, we read this story and we go, whew, God takes sin seriously. Like that's, that's heavy, isn't it? That's, I mean, not just Achan, but his whole family. But then we have to contrast that with the previous chapter where Rahab and her whole family were spared and, and, and shown mercy. And we have to ask, what's the difference, right? We know Rahab's rap sheet. She had more than sinned against the Lord throughout her entire life. I mean, this is what she did. And yet the Lord showed her mercy. And now, in the very next chapter, the sin of one man is costing him his life and the life of his whole family. So what we're going to do now is we're going to look at God's counsel for his people on what to do with his sin. And it's going to shed light, I, th- I believe, on what's happening in Joshua 7. And it's also going to shed light on what God wants to do in our lives today. So the first place I want to stop is the book of Colossians. In the book of Colossians chapter three, the apostle Paul is writing a letter to God's people. And he's saying, here's what you do with your sin. He says this in verse five, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. That's a pretty harsh statement, isn't it? I mean, put to death, kill what is earthly within you. He goes on to give a list, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, covetousness, which is idolatry. And then verse nine, he says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So what Paul's saying here, we're gonna see this again in a couple other passages, either you put sin to death or sin will put you to death. You have to take your sin seriously. You can't address your sin passively you can't wait until you get caught. You can't wait until it costs you so much you can't ignore it anymore. Paul is saying to Christians, no, you need to go after your sin. You need to take it seriously and you need to be putting it to death. And then he says it this way, put, on, put off the old self, put on the new. Listen to verse, this is Romans 8, 13. He says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the spirit, or if by the spirit you put to death deeds of the body, you will live. Pretty clear. If you live in the flesh, it's gonna lead you to death. If you live by the spirit, it's gonna lead you to life. Man, who doesn't want that? That's what I want. How do I end up with Rahab's story and not Achan's story? But that's what I want. And the answer lies within this command to consecrate yourself. The book of Galatians chapter five, the apostle Paul is talking about this battle that, wages, that has been waged within us, this battle between the spirit and the flesh. And he says this in Galatians five sixteen. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So if you find yourself in a situation like, how do I quit gratifying the desires of my flesh? How do I quit giving into this thing I don't want to do anymore? Paul says, here's the only solution. You have to walk by the Spirit according to what the Spirit is doing in your life. We'll come back to that in just a minute. Then he goes on to explain, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. There's a battle within you for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So obviously this is something we should take with a great deal of weight, what we do with our own sin. And Paul's instructions are, don't, don't gratify the desires of your flesh. Don't continue living in sin. Instead, live by the Spirit. Now, here's what I wanna, I wanna make sure that we all understand Christ's followers. We talk often about the work the Holy Spirit is doing. Some of us are more comfortable with that conversation than others. We love to see the powerful movement of God's Spirit among his people. Let me just tell you, the most powerful thing that God's spirit is doing, God's spirit is doing a lot of things besides what I'm about to say, but the most powerful thing that God's spirit is doing is transforming hearts. If you're in Christ, that is what he is doing. Is he doing other things? Yes, producing the fruit of the spirit, entrusting you with gifts of the spirit, prompting you, convicting you, working in you. The main thing God's spirit is doing in and among his people is he's transforming us into the image of Christ. So when you feel that conviction, you know what I'm talking about? The Holy Spirit's convicting you of either a sin you just committed or one you're thinking about committing. You know that conviction I'm talking about. That is not God's spirit trying to get you off of the naughty list onto the good list. He's not a cosmic Santa Claus going, I just need you to get off the naughty list. And get No, that's God's Holy Spirit transforming you into the image of Christ. Pointing out an area in your character that does not align with the character of Christ. That is a powerful thing that God can do, that kind of work inside of us. Paul says, you've got to put off the old self. You've got to put sin to death and put on what? The truth of the gospel. He says it this way. Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. The truth of the gospel and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. If we're all gonna be honest, we don't stumble into sin. Now, I know we like to act that way. I just don't know what happened. It's just this, that, and then all of a sudden, I just reacted, you know? No, there's a a lineage of sin. We make provisions for sin. We create space for sin to happen. We, We fuel it. Right, we, we're, we're part of that process. And Paul's saying, listen, quit doing that. Quit making provisions for sin, then looking at yourself in the mirror and going, why'd you do that again? You gotta put off that old self, put on the new self in Christ Jesus. There's another word that we can use that's very similar to consecrate, and it's the word sanctify. That's the New Testament word. And it means to, again, to be set apart. Christ's follower, the Holy Spirit of God is sanctifying you, setting you apart. Now, here's my question. The instructions from God to Joshua and to the people was what? Consecrate yourselves. So now the question comes up, how do I participate in the work the Holy Spirit is doing in me to make me more like Jesus? How do I do this? And so, We're gonna go to 1 John chapter one, John's counsel to Christians and what to do with sin. John says this in 1 John one, he says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. So I think what John is saying is that if we look at Rahab and Achan, there's a stark difference in what they did with their sin. Rahab's sin was public knowledge. She wasn't trying to say, you know what? I didn't really mean it. She wasn't justifying it. She wasn't soft selling it. She's like, no, this is who I am. I'm just begging for mercy. Achan, on the other hand, was not walking in the light. He was hiding his sin, keeping it in darkness, like literally. And, and he had the opportunity the day before, didn't he? When God said, hey, Joshua, before we do what we're about to do tomorrow, will you just tell the people, consecrate yourselves? What does that mean? Set a, set your, set, prepare your hearts, Right, get the sin out of your life. Set your heart aside and prepare your heart to be in the presence of the Lord because I'm gonna show up tomorrow. And if the sin's still in the dark, guess what? I'm pulling it out into the light. And so now in 1 John, John's calling us as Christians, like, hey guys, listen, walk in the light, live in the light as he is in the light and we will have fellowship with one another. So now just another component, our sin impacts our fellowship with one another. I'm gonna make another say. Even when you haven't been directly impacted. Now, sometimes it's obvious, right? I yell at my wife in anger. My sin hurts her directly. But there are two other sets of ears in our house, right? And maybe my sin wasn't pointed at them, but indirectly, now they're impacted by my sin. Listen, church, that happens in the church as well. Like sometimes my sin or your sin like directly impacts somebody else in the church but did you notice how the entire nation of Israel was impacted by Achan's sin? And so John's like, hey, you've got to walk in the light as I am, like God's saying, walk in the light as I am in the light and it impacts your fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, will cleanse you from all sin. Then look at what he says. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. This is a pretty heavy statement. So I think John would say about Achan is Achan was deceiving himself. It's not a big deal. It's just me. It's just one thing, one time. Nobody's going to find out. And he deceived himself. But ultimately what John is saying, listen, your salvation needs to be questioned. I'm questioning whether the truth of God is even in you. If you claim to be without sin, verse 9 says, here's the good news though. Listen, this is how we consecrate ourselves. Here's how we participate in the work the Holy Spirit is doing. Verse 9 if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's the good news, church. That's good news. And we will never get there if we're soft selling, hiding, pretending, minimizing the sin that we have in our hearts. He goes on to say if we, verse 10, If we say we have not sinned, we may come out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Now listen, there are a lot of ways that we claim to be without sin. Some of them are direct. A direct way that I would claim to be without sin is I never acknowledge it or confess it. That's what Achan was doing. But listen, there are a lot of other ways we do it that are are a lot more subtle. Here's some ways that we do it. Generalizing our sin. Yeah, to a group of guys. Yeah, I yelled at my wife the other day, but I mean we all get there at some point, right? We all sin. We all mess up. See how I generalized it? I made my sin our sin. Or we minimize it. Yeah, I mean, I got I mean I got a little I got a little frustrated. Really? Because that looked like all out anger and wrath to me. Yeah, I just got a little frustrated, you know, for a minute. I'm fine. And we minimize, make it small. We justify it. Yeah, I got to co- confess my sins, brother. Um, yeah, Hallie, she was being a jerk last weekend and she said all these mean things to me and she did this. and I just list her rap sheet and I go, yeah, so I responded in anger. I just need to get that off my chest. I just need to get that, confess that sin. See what I did? I justified it. This is something that I struggle with. I calculate my confession. I share enough to be honest and true without sharing any unnecessary details. So I'll end up sanitizing the details and ultimately revising the story. These are all versions of ways that we claim to be without sin. And John's like, whoa, 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 tap the brakes. If you're claiming to be without sin, you're calling God a liar, it's a big deal. And the, and the truth of God may not even be in you. That's a pretty heavy warning, church. Does God take sin seriously? Absolutely. That's what we learn from Achan's sin. But does God more than offer opportunity for mercy and grace? Absolutely. Obviously, he offered it to Rahab and her family. Where was, where was, Ray, where was uh, Achan's mercy? It was the day before. Consecrate yourselves, cleanse your hearts, cleanse out your. Like, there's sin in the camp. Let's get it out today because tomorrow's not going to be pretty if we don't. Just think about that. As. Joshua and the elders were were casting lots to figure out which clan the sin was in. Achan was there at any moment. He could say, whoa, 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 stop, stop. It was me. Like the mercy extended to the next day. Then they narrowed down to the clan. He's like, oh gosh. And they start dividing the households. Like the whole time he's doing what? Deceiving himself and he's hiding. At any point he could have stepped forward. He doesn't until the lot falls on him. Does God take sin seriously? Absolutely. Does God offer a way out? Absolutely. But listen, church, the description from the Bible on what we do with our sin is something that we would call here at Solid Rock extreme ownership of sin. And so we have internally, beyond our statement of faith, we have lists of things that matter, things that are of of high value to us, things that describe us as a church. And we have a list of what we call leadership behaviors that we call our leaders to, our staff and our, and our, our, our elders to. This is what we hold each other accountable to. And what we desire to do is to, is to be an example to other leaders in the church, community group leaders, team leaders, that they would see in our staff and elders examples of things, behaviors that, re, that reflect Christ. And then that they would then exemplify those things to the rest of the church. And one of our leadership behaviors is this, we call it extreme ownership. And here's the statement. We believe the Bible calls believers, not just leaders, but believers, to radically own their sin and walk in transparency with one another rather than hiding in shame or pridefully defending ourselves. Therefore, we are committed to extreme ownership of our sin, not giving the devil any footholds in our lives or in the church. So now I wanna offer up to you an example of the difference between casually owning sin versus extreme ownership, I'll just use the argument between me and Hallie as another example. So, here's version number one: Hallie and I have an argument. It gets heated. I get angry. I say things in anger. In anger, and one of the things that I will do in this situation is I'll be condescending. I just, that's, that's my sin nature. I know it all too well, and I'll be condescending to her. She'll say something like, hey, quit talking to me like you're my dad. And then I'll get even madder. So here's one version of that. the next day, I'm meeting with a group of guys for Bible study. I'm like, hey, guys, before we do our Bible study today, I just need to confess some sin. Uh, yesterday, uh, things got heated. And I said some things, very condescending to Hallie. She said some things she shouldn't have said. I said some things I shouldn't have said. I was condescending towards her. And, uh, I mean, ultimately, I didn't really mean to hurt her, but I did. So I just need to own that. I've already asked for her forgiveness and i'm asking for you guys to forgive me let's move on that's one version here's another version this is what extreme ownership looks like guys before we get into the word today i just need to get some i need to get some sin out there yesterday in my anger i said some things to my wife and my intention was to hurt her and to belittle her and i crushed her it doesn't matter what she did or didn't do this is what i did And I'm telling you, in that moment, I regret it, but I meant to hurt her with my words and that's wrong. And I'm confessing that before you guys. I've asked for God's forgiveness, I've asked for her forgiveness, and I'm asking you guys to forgive me. You you hear the difference between those two? Between casual ownership and extreme ownership? Casual ownership is like, well, I didn't mean to do it. Or it's like, I'm sorry I made you feel that way. That's That's not extreme ownership. Extreme ownership is, listen, you need to look me in the eyes right now. I meant to make you feel that way and it was wrong. I hurt you on purpose with my words and that's wrong. Please forgive me for what I intended to do. That's extreme ownership. It's something that we're committed to as a church and I think it applies here to the story of Aiken. What's interesting is I've pointed this out before The apostle Paul is a great example of how to battle well against your sin. We know before he became a Christian, he was like the leading terrorist against the church, right? Dark past. Jesus radically saves him, forgives him of all of his sin. It's interesting to to note how Paul looks at himself as he grows and matures in Christ. So here's some examples. Early on, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is around 53 or 55 AD. He's probably been a Christian less than you know, 15 years or so, maybe maybe, maybe, maybe 16, 17 years. And he's, he's writing to the church in Corinth and he says, listen church, I am the least of the apostles. Unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So he says that in his open letter to the church. He looks at himself that way and says, listen, I'm an apostle, but I'm the least of the apostles because of my dark past. Fast forward about seven years, he's writing a letter to the church in Ephesus. Verse seven, he says, of this gospel, I was made a minister, which is also the word that translates deacon. So he's no longer referring to himself as apostle. He's kind of downgraded himself to deacon or minister according to the gift of God's grace which are given to me by the work of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, that's like the whole church. Like he's saying to the, like I'm the least among the saints, the least deserving, the least qualified. But then look at what he says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, fast forward a few more years, he's writing a letter to a young pastor and he says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am, what, the worst. You hear how the further that Paul grew in Christ, the more the Holy Spirit worked in him to conform his heart into the image of Christ, the more he acknowledged, you know what? Apostle, no, deacon, no, least of the saints, no, 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 change all that. I'm the chief of sinners. And then he calls the church in Corinth to boast in weakness that Christ may be glorified. The opposite of hiding sin, minimizing sin, justifying sin, calculating your confession. Paul's like, what? Draw the curtains back. You want freedom? You wanna see the Holy Spirit work powerfully in your life? Draw the curtains back, walk in the light. Radically own your sin. Listen, here's what it boils down to, church. We either believe the gospel or we don't. That's what it boils down to. You can leave here today and you have the decision to make. Are you gonna listen to the sentiment of our popular culture that would say to you, Quit calling it sin. Like, who are those people to call s- s- things in your life sin? Using a prehistoric religion and an outdated book, like, who are they to call things in your life sin? If it's not sin to you, it's not sin. That's, that's one voice we're hearing, yet we have God's word that's clear. And, and it's not like God is this cosmic bully trying to rub our nose in our sin. He's saying, no, I wanna set you free from your sin. But you're not gonna get there by hiding it. The gospel declares that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the good news of the gospel is what? That Christ Jesus came to save sinners. And Paul's like, ooh, put me in the front of the line. Hey. See, I told you the Holy Spirit's doing other things too. It's messing with our lights. Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. I'm the foremost. I'm the worst. Praise be to God that He saves sinners like me. That is the gospel. And I think that's why John's saying, I'm not even sure the truth is in you. If we can't start with just owning sin, I don't know that the truth is in you. James goes a step further in James chapter five, and we'll end here. He says, therefore confess your sins to one another. It's not enough for me in hiding to just work things out between me and God. There has to be a place, right? Where we confess our sins to one another. You think about David, okay? And his confession in Psalm 51. I mean, bro had messed up big, right? Committed adultery, Hit it, lied, then committed murder. In his confession, he says, God against you and you alone have I sinned. Sounds like David's just trying to work things out between him and God. Yeah, except he does it in a song that he writes for the church to sing. He, he, he writes it down in a letter that he intends for the whole nation of Israel to read. Like we have to understand our sin is first and foremost against our holy God, but it also impacts one another. Now here's the good news, Listen. So you go back to Joshua 7, such a big deal that the nation of Israel is like that. Let's call that the valley of of, uh, Acre or the valley of Achan, which means trouble. (laughs) Anytime we walk through that valley, let's remember the trouble. Here's the good news. You fast forward to the book of Hosea, it's a prophet. I wanna read just a, a verse or two for you. Listen to this about the same valley. This is in the book of Hosea. Chapter two, verse 14, therefore behold, God says, I will allure her, talking about his people, and bring her into the wilderness. I will speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Acre a door of hope. Man, that's good news. Only God can take our sin, redeem it, turn trouble into hope. And I know the lie of the enemy is is to say to you, hide your sin, they won't like you if you tell them hide your sin. They won't accept you. They won't love you. You understand how opposite of the gospel that is? When God looks at you and says, I see your sin and I love you. And guess what I'm calling my people to do? To love you too. So for us to say, I don't really want to confess my sins to anybody. Ultimately, that's that's me not believing and trusting what Christ is doing in you. And so I want to end with a few questions for us to think about today. Before I read these questions, I just wanna fully acknowledge the, the weight of a sermon like this. I, I know it's not light. And there's a chance that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you and convicting you of some specific sins. I don't know what they are and I'm not reading it on your face. I'm just saying that's, that's what he does, okay? And some of you may be at a place right now where you're like, I gotta talk to somebody, okay? Perfect, we'd love to talk with you today, okay? Pastors, elders, we're in the room. We'd be honored to talk with you, pray with you. But this may sit on you for a few days. It may be Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday morning and finally you're like, I just gotta, okay, like we wanna still talk with you, okay? So press into your community group leader. If you're not in a community group, press into us as a church. Go to the website, email us, call us. Like we wanna walk with you in this as the Holy Spirit stirs in you and convicts you